And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 35 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, July 14th, 2014. So the World Cup is over, and you're wondering how you're going to fill two hours at that really awkward time of day when there's nothing else on, or quite frankly, you ought to be working. Why not tell us all about it in a review over on iTunes, and then let us know what you think of the show. Because really, it's the way to ease your pain and ease your way out of the World Cup watching and back into real life. And because it won't take you nearly all of two hours to do that, and when you're looking for that 45 to 50 minutes of content marketing news goodness a few days early, we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher, and then stop by the blog post on thisoldmarketing.com where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we talk about here. Anyway, also, and as always, please welcome my colleague and good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the LeBron James is back in town of content marketing. Hello, Joe, my friend. How are you? Are you, are you happy? Are all is forgiven, I guess? All is definitely forgiven. The <laughs> entire city is actually, and I won't spoil it because part of my, my rave is going to be on his article uh, that was okay. written in, in SI, right. so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. But no, I'm, we were downtown Friday night out with a bunch of friends, and it was a, everybody got out their LeBron James jerseys, at least the ones that weren't, weren't already burned. <laughs> Here and, it is. Uh, yeah, I had to throw that in there. Oh, it was – it's it's – it's probably more special that he left and came back and is willing to come. And because the difference is he was drafted by Cleveland. He had to play for right? Cleveland. He's right. now actually making a choice after he went off to college, which was Miami. Now, now he comes back to Cleveland and, and it's really good for the city. I was, it's funny cause I was talking to a proprietor that owns a, a restaurant bar way outside of the city and said that his business will be so far up because LeBron's in town just because the team is more successful and it fuels more people into the bar, staying longer, whatnot. So, Wow. He, he has effects beyond his wildest imagination, so we're super excited. Uh, the other thing is... Well, it's, yeah, it's been a good week for Cleveland. Great. We've got the really yeah, Republican the, National yeah. Convention. But the one thing that you mentioned was 35. So this is 35. I think that 42 will be at Content Marketing World, which is there just... it is. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. 42. Well, you should explain what the significance well, of that number 42, is. 42, we've always had an affiliation with the number 40, 42 coming from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. My my first uh, entrepreneurial launch was named Jump to 42. And, but we've always kept the 42 alive in, in CMI. And that's just a... It's just an odd thing. I think we just needed that is, needed to point that out. Pretty amazing. That we'll be doing that, right. and we'll be doing that live. I believe we're trying to set that up live from Content Marketing World, like we did live from Content Marketing World I Sydney. I'm so excited! I could not be more excited about that. Well, um, so I guess we should move on. Oh, to the we news. probably should do should news. I'm just talking about Cleveland and all that <laughs> good stuff. So, well, our first news item, which is a really interesting one for me, is the Walmart buying media suppliers article. This comes straight to us from Ad Age, where there's an article that I guess I guess art, this is the really interesting thing. I guess it's been a turnaround over the last couple of 
months even that we've been talking about this, how the roles in marketing are really changing here. We have advertising agencies that are becoming publishers, publishers that are becoming advertisers, all of this weirdness that's going on with content marketing. And now we have Walmart turning into a media agency. I mean, they're ta- the article talks about how Walmart has met recently with a bunch of their suppliers, and they're talking about offering media services, including media buying, optimization, placement, advertising for some of these suppliers. I mean, what did you think it about really, this? It really is amazing. First of all, we probably should tell listeners that you're not actually sweeping while you're <laughs> sweeping the floor while we're actually doing the podcast. Is that the, is well, that the leaf blowing going? I do have a leaf. Yeah, I have a leaf blower going on outside the house. Hopefully he'll be gone in the next couple of seconds. Because here. I could. Talk for a long uh, time. Yeah, you did a great job like pouring through it. But I think we should tell people like, what is that in the background? You know, it, it really is amazing that, I mean, this is, it's more than, it's almost a media company and an agency all in one what they're doing with their, I mean, can you go into a little bit about what they're trying to do with this WMX platform? What did you get from the article? Well, really, I mean, the, 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 what I took away was that this new platform, like you said, it's going to be called the Walmart exchange or WMX. And it's really going to be allowing their suppliers to sort of sign up for this service where they're going to have, Theoretically, I mean, I, I guess they're really the devils in the details here, but theoretically everything from digital marketing, targeting, buying, optimization, that basically everything that you would employ a media agency to do for a media ad buy and for content, quite frankly, because they're going to do content promotion through this as well, is going to bring it all the way through. And even social media they even talk about. So they're going to be offering this service as sort of an add-on to all of the suppliers who put product on the shelves in Walmart. Well, it's in, so the quote here said, one supplier executive said the idea fits with Walmart's eternal desire to get suppliers to lower ad budgets. I'm sure agencies love that. And put the dollars into a lower price for them. I mean, they they really are trying to create an exchange where they can bring down pricing and then show value. What what I really what's amazing in this article is it's worth a, a read a couple times actually by everybody listening here because it's just it's fascinating. Um, I really got the feeling as I was reading this the similarities to what Kraft is doing, and of course we know from Julie Fleischer what she's doing at Kraft with their Looking Glass with all right. the data. So they're creating this you know war room of data that they can start to show trends. And there's a couple things from that that I thought was interesting. The data that they're, the first party data, you know, they were, you know, most of us are are so relying on third party data. They're saying the first party data, of course, that's where content comes in because they have content. Then they have the first party data is driving their media buying decisions in print and in in television, which I think is amazing, right? Just from the first part where there's, so that's where you look at. And of course, craft does the same thing where they say, we are going to create content on our website so we can see patterns of behavior. And through those patterns of behavior, we're going to, they're going to, it creates insight for us buying paid advertising. I mean, that's just, it's, it's silly. It's crazy. It's silly right there. I I mean, it's, 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 you know, when you think about it, right? So one of the, I mean, so the, the craft story is one of the best business cases I think I've ever heard in terms of how you deliver ROI on a content marketing program by having it, you know, I mean, it is in the, in the spirit of everything we say about content marketing as an infusion into your other marketing and communications practices and how it makes everything better. You know, I mean, 
years ago when you and I first started talking, we used to compare content marketing to butter, right? By itself, not so great, but it makes everything taste better. And that's what really Kraft has not to forgive the irony, but that's what Kraft has really been able to to do here. And this with Walmart is a really interesting sort of corollary to that because there with Kraft, you're talking about a brand sort of taking that on on their own. And here with Walmart, you've got a retailer that as if they didn't need, you know, they've got reason enough for all suppliers wanting to work with them. Well, here's another reason that you want to work with Walmart and quite frankly, give them all your data, give them all your advertising and give them all your sort of promotional dollars and or insight because they can come back and deliver that value across all these different things. It's 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 just a fascinating innovation. You know, it's funny. We, we talk about how and we're all publishers, media companies now. That's been the big change. There's no barriers to entry. We can all create content. But it seems to be more and more, especially with the consumer side companies, that that creating content to get the right data is the stuff that they really didn't have before. Because, I mean, you, how many right. of the research companies, you come from Hollywood, all the different studies and research and data that they have that the regular company just didn't have. And now, now we have that because we can drive an audience to our website and actually show behavior changes or at least some insight into, okay, well, how is this going to educate us into other strategies and, and execution we're going to employ? So that's the one thing. I just – that whole thing kills me. Well, but that's – I mean, but the interesting thing here, just to, just to jump in really quickly, the interesting thing is, is that Hollywood never had that information either. They basically employed a whole industry of research analysts that actually went out and did yeah. consumer research on how people attended the movies or what, you know, they had Nielsen for, you know, theoretically, <laughs> but for what, you know, people – watched television and how many people watch television and everybody the the interesting thing there that i think is different now um and it's actually a challenge is that in the entertainment business you're talking about a, a whole industry that basically agreed on a certain set of metrics that would you know and quite frankly a certain set of companies that would provide those metrics that basically formed the baseline of how the industry was monetized and now what you've got are companies that are using the ability to measure at the digital level to not only optimize their own spend, but actually start to look at how they can offer that as a service to partners and vendors and other people and create their own little ecosystem of measurement, right? So it's, it's, it's really a fact, you know, they're just basically building their own little worlds of being a media company and the research companies that support it. It's, it's amazing. There's a, there's a couple more things to your point that they talk about working with agencies. Really strong article for strategy being kept inside the company because they talk a lot in this article about how they're leveraging multiple agencies to deliver on the ideas that come from their strategic meetings, which is, oh, how, here's, oh we're going to use this agency for this and this agency for that, but they have a very clear idea of the strategy behind that. The second thing is, and this is something, by the way, a uh, shout-out to Dan Stradman who sent us this article uh, Dan's over yeah. at uh, GE Lighting, and he loved this portion. And then they end the, the sidebar with this. And uh, one of the Walmart executives says, We don't really shoot commercials now, we shoot content. Right. Talking about the fact that when they do an advertisement in somewhat, whatever they're sh shooting a 30 second ad or whatever, they create so much content for everything else that they're doing at the same time, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever they're doing which is such a different process than it's been in the past where it's just it's, it used to be just for the ad right well now it's for you know 10 to 20 other 
uh, strategies that they need to employ. So they're getting a lot more bang for their buck in those shoots. Absolutely. Well, and the the part of the side, I mean, the sidebar alone, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of goodness here in this article. The sidebar uh, that talks about that, uh, my favorite quote was, by having the marketing executives lead strategy and ideation and working directly with the merchandising group. So there you are, busting down silos. You've got marketing executives working with merchandising on the briefs. He said, then this is the quote, our agencies are maybe happier this year than they've ever been in a long time because we're using them for what they're really good at and not trying to frustrate them by staying in touch with all these merchants and all of our different strategies. So they've actually got something really cohesive going on here by integrating all these things together into a common communication strategy. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Really and, and we, we yeah. totally glossed over the fact that the di- digital and media are now together. They, yeah, they, exactly. they put those two together under Wanda Young, I think is her name. Yeah. And so, right. I mean, that's a big deal right there. So that just, you know, note out to people listening, you've got to break down those silos so they can actually work with each other. And, and Walmart did that. And I think that's why you're seeing some of the success. Fantastic. Well, on to our next story here. I mean, that was just, I mean, just go read that article because it's a, it's a really good one. Um, the next one is, a, is, is also, this comes from uh, Contently, our friends at Contently. Uh, hi, Shane. And uh, this one, this article took me back a bit. Um, it said basically sponsored content has a trust problem. And the article goes on to talk about how Sponsored content, paid posts, partner stories, whatever you're calling it, basically, um, they've, they note that it's drummed up its own share of controversy over the last few years, and everybody seems to be talking about it. But then they went out and they actually asked, and this is where I want to get your take, Joe, because I'm, you know, as, as always with these studies, we sort of squint our yeah. eyes a little bit and go, really, what's the deal here? Um, they said, you know, what's the challenge with it? And basically, they said... of readers were scrolling down on native ad content compared to 71% of readers who are scrolling on normal content. What is the real deal here? What was your take on this article? I, first of all, here's another one that you really have to go through because there's a lot of meat into this whole thing. It seemed to me, and I'm going to, I'm going to make a broad generalization of the study in general. It seems that consumers distrust online content. Just yeah, online, just like right. online content. Yeah. Now there are variations between branded, sponsored content, and you know sites like MSNBC and Fox News and sites like the New York Times. But in general, not you know not huge huge differences compared to, I don't trust sponsored content. So I think that there's a bigger issue here where people are just a little bit more skeptical of online content. Did you get that? Did you? I did. Well, I mean, I what, you know what my my big takeaway here is that people don't trust content; they trust brands, yeah. you know, or they trust sources. Really, that's that's probably the better way to say it. Is that you know, it's it doesn't matter ultimately, right? You know, looking at the you know, it's the classic you know, I mean, not to get political here, but it's the classic sort of everybody hates government and everybody loves their representative, right? So, and. That's why people don't get voted out of office. It's because, well, your guy's doing a great job, but government as a whole really blows. And this is the same kind of thing where content generally can't be trusted, but the content I read from the sources I trust can be. And so when you ask people, 
if they're going to trust this content over that content, they're going to say, well, no, I'm not going to trust this native ad content maybe over normal content. Or even looking at it sort of as a holistic generalized thing, you might come up with the same result. But it's to your exact point, it's not about normal content versus native ad content versus promoted or paid content. It's content, generally speaking, that people don't trust and then within that there are certain sources which the whole point of native advertising to begin with there are certain brands that you do trust or certain sources that you do trust and that's where you go every day well what's interesting is some of these results too they were talking about how the media sites the news sites themselves uh, they trust those less if they run sponsored articles that's we've been talking about that for a while right does it well yeah does it hurt the brand itself if you run a sponsored article and my take is if you run a sponsored article that is substandard which is what we're seeing right now you see a lot of media companies out there that offer native advertising as a program they don't put in the amount of editorial process control to make sure that's a good piece good solid piece of content that aligns that's with right. their editorial uh, objectives or editorial guide and style guidelines that's a problem right now we're seeing that that's rampant where you say, oh, hey, native advertising, come in with that money, we'll take it, but we're not going to invest in the back end to make sure. And by the way, I'm, a lot of companies are doing a very good media companies do a very good job with this. Of course, we're going to talk about BuzzFeed in a little bit, but yeah. that's one thing. I thought that well, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about a journalist who's actually got the exact opposite opinion here. In exactly, second, we'll right? talk about that. So there's there's another thing that talks about uh, do people know what sponsored content is and and. A lot of them don't even know what sponsored content is. And then I thought about, well, a lot of people don't even know that the ads and Google are on the right side and the top. I mean, <laughs> who are we talking about here? You know? That's true. So I I don't know. I mean, my, my biggest uh, – so those are my quick takeaways. And my biggest issue – and I thought about you because you're a big wine um, – Efficient, you know, you love you love your wine, right? And I oh, oh, I thought you said wine, like oh, I no, wine. not that you like to wine. <laughs> I mean, I do like the wine. Well, but there's, I, I like the wine, and I like to wine while I'm on I wine. Like so. to wine. <laughs> um, the wine. <laughs> it's a what is that's a bachelor party out there. There you go. Oh, yeah. Okay. The um, the one thing that I thought was interesting is the last part, and they talk about what do you think is the is more honest, and it goes from a typical BuzzFeed article all the way on the left, which is be the least honest, all the way to a typical New York Times article, which would be the most honest. And actually, sponsored content falls within that. And then you take it one step further, they talk about um, print and the effect that print has. And I'm thinking, maybe, doesn't that have a correlation there? Isn't there something that we can say where there's a brand that also has a print component? Are they seen as more credible? Because art, I, you articles know, in a printed magazine and articles in a printed newspaper were by far the highest quality rated from the from this group of people. Well, and and that goes right to I mean I I don't have any empirical evidence of this, but I can tell you right now if I show my mother in law or my father in law where I get a bylined article in a print magazine. They go gaga. I mean, they run up and down the street. They show their neighbors. It's the, their, their son. Look at their son-in-law. He's such a professional and blah, blah, blah. But if I say here's a link to, a, to, you know, to the digital version or to a digital magazine, they're not nearly as impressed. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the real – you know, even – I mean, I would argue even, you know, if you get published in 
you know, the Harvard Business Review, the print magazine, that's a big deal, right? If you get print, if you get your blog post on Harvard Business Review, the blog, with no, you know, with, with no, trust me, no untoward comment about the Harvard Business Review blog, it's just not as impressive, yeah. right? And so I think people, because of our history, because of our shared experience with print, I think there absolutely is something to that. There's, well, I'll tell you firsthand there is because when we go out and we're trying to get interviews for contentmarketinginstitute.com, it's tough to get good interviews with really good marketers, solid marketers. They're busy. They've got, you know, they don't want to be interviewed all the time. I can't do that. Right. Cheap Content Officer Magazine, our print publication, never, ever has one been turned down. Fascinating. It's fascinating, isn't it? When you say where you yeah. have a print publication, it makes it, it makes it, well, we think that's a competitive advantage. I think that a lot of brands listening to this, I think we need to look, depending on what your goals are, I think there's there's something you should look at. Besides all that, is there anything that, that marketers can take away from this study outside of the fact that there's still a lot of uncertainty with what sponsored content is? I, I think it's exactly that, is is that right now sponsored content is in a very uncertain place. I mean, every article, and in fact, my rant slash rave later today is exactly about this, where the idea this this we're in the very early stages here of trying to figure out how sponsored content is going to affect the way that we go to market using content, right? So what we understand right now very well is how paid media you know, I mean, to the extent that, you know, I, I guess, you know, we, the old John Wanamaker, you know, I understand half of my marketing is effective. I just don't know which half, mm-hmm. you know, okay. With all due caveats to that, we understand the paid media circle really well. We understand how to do that. We buy ads, we get results or we don't get results. End of story. Earned media, PR, what we're doing through earned media, we kind of understand that a little bit. It's a little bit more difficult for us to get. And then this whole owned media slash you know where earned media and owned media cross over this idea of we own the content but we're going to place it or pay for it to exist on somebody else's site this is really i mean just really new both from the buy side and sell side publishers don't know how to do this yet and marketers don't know how to do it yet either well i think there's two i think this leads into our next article and as we segue into the into the next article this the takeaway should be if you are a publisher, you need to set editorial guidelines around this. It's like super, super critical. And if you are a marketer, you need to focus on actually putting as much time and effort into your content as you would an advertisement in your trade magazine. I'll tell you, I just had a conversation this week and yesterday, in fact, with one of the biggest financial uh, news brands uh, out there. Um, and you definitely know the name if I said, and they're a huge publisher and she right now, the, the head of marketing there is trying to figure out how they actually monetize this native advertising promote. And they're seeing what's going on at the guardian. They're seeing what's going on at wall street journal. They see what's going on at Forbes. And they're like, we don't want to, we don't, that's not what we want to do, but we're not, we, but we want to do something and we want to try something. What are some companies that really get it doing? And the, the key is, I, I told her exactly what you just said. It's coming up and understanding that this is a quality over quantity program and that you, you should do something, but establishing high levels of editorial guidelines and creativity and, and getting your A-list talent on this is, is so important because if you screw up your brand trust, you've screwed it all up. 
Nope, to- totally agree with you. But it's actually a good segue into our next. It is article. actually, yeah. So this is uh, an article that I guess made the round. Certainly, uh, with big, a lot of big on, on social it. media it hit, today. Yeah, yeah. It hit my it hit my social media channel a few times. So the title of the article is "Content Used to Be King, Now It's the Joker." Great headline. Um, and it's uh, and not surprisingly, it's uh, by this independent writer and editor. Her name is Amy Westervelt. Um, I don't know Amy. Do you? I, know I Amy? did not know I Amy, know. but Amy okay, is now right. very popular on social media. So. <laughs> yes, she is. She's very popular. Um, the The article is basically her resignation letter, I guess, if that's the right way to put this, uh, to doing content marketing. Um, and she has she talks through how she has been doing ghostwriting for CEOs, as she calls them. Uh, the white guys, um, you know, sort of uh, rich white guys, and talks about how she's really frustrated that basically journalism has been co-opted uh, and wants to go back to really her roots. Um, what did you take out of this? You you come from this world. What did and you, what I, I commented on a couple. Um, oh, you did uh, a couple things on Facebook, not on the article, but on a couple things. Okay. First of all, this this is not new. So she goes on and she rants, and actually, it's a really good rant. I mean, she goes yeah, it's to really town, good. and and what's re- what what I was the most interested about is that she said, you know, and a lot of people that know Forbes.com's model, where they pay they pay by uh, performance, sometimes it's about fifty dollars a post, uh, and then you get a bonus if you hit a certain th- a certain number of new uniques. Right. But then right. she stopped writing directly for Forbes and started to write for thought leaders that were getting placed on Forbes, and exactly. she's getting ten times the amount of money. Right. And she just she basically said she felt icky by <laughs> by doing yeah, that exactly. And uh, you know she goes through these you know some of these probably should go through. She thinks the problem is one, it's not real reporting. It's not it's it's a little. She thinks it's a little shady and unethical. Uh, the content it's not marked advertorial, but it is. Which by the way we've talked about on this show specifically to Forbes. That's one of the problems they have with their model is that basically anybody can create content and we don't know who the audience is on Forbes anymore and it's just right. the the most views wins on on Forbes and so that's an issue and she brings that out um, she says she's selling her best ideas at bargain prices okay that's her problem that's her issue quite frankly uh, yeah. she's tired of making rich white dudes uh, seem more thoughtful than they are that's also her problem in my opinion Um, and she can't contribute to the demise of her own profession. Okay. This is what I have to say about this, this, (laughs) and by the way, all hats off to her because she did something about it. She's going and launching her own thing and God bless her for doing that. That was what I was hoping she would get to. Cause I wanted to say, go build your own platform, go do it. You there's nothing holding you back. But my thing is, this is not new. I mean, I've been in this industry for unbelievably almost 20 years, and ghostwriting has been going on forever. Uh, you and I can name some of the most popular books in business around, and we can tell you that they've been ghostwritten by somebody else, not the person right. who's the author. Exactly. That's right. So there's, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with it. I think the issue that I had with the whole thing is that she's writing to flawed strategies, that's the problem. Yeah, that's the, exactly the problem right. is it's, nothing. It's the it's nothing wrong with ghostwriting. The problem is she's ghostwriting for companies that have really bad strategies. Exactly. I mean, this is the. I don't know how often we've we've talked about this, which is you can't complain about the practice 
when what you're complaining about is a bad practice of the practice. Yes. You know, it's, that's, I mean, by basically saying football is hard and it, it's a, it, I, nobody should play football because I don't know how to play well is not, is, 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 you know, is, is not the right approach. And it, it happens so many times where, the the entire practice or approach is belittled and or ridiculed and or denigrated when it's actually a flawed version of the practice that's actually not getting the results. And so that's I mean, you said it much more elegantly when you said basically she's writing to a flawed strategy, which is and agreed. If I had that experience, I would probably I would probably want to quit, too, um, with those couple of caveats that we noted there, you know, which is. It is about her business. At the end of the day, it's she is an entrepreneur, and she is a writer, and she has every reason to want to write what she's going to write and make money the way. I mean, as she says in the article, I'd much rather write for a lot less and be a barista or a waitress or you know whatever I'm going to be in my life. Great. I think that's a laudable um, goal, but it's not the practice that's at fault. It's a flawed strategy that's it. And, and by the way, I mean, she says $50 a post. I know people that do 5 to $7 posts. And they do. I do they, too. they churn out a ton of them every day, and that's what they do. And they're, they, they don't have to work in the office anymore. They're working at home, and they're very happy doing that. I don't know if the content they're creating is working for the companies they're giving it to, but they're, they're very happy. I thought it was interesting that she said, my ghost-written posts – have appeared on VentureBeat, Pando Daily, Entrepreneur.com, and a few more. And then she says, and then, Pando Daily and then Pando, yeah. Yeah, basically Pando says goes, a uh, no ghostwriting policy. <laughs> right. I have, have you seen that anywhere? I've never seen I've a never, no ghostwriting policy. I, I don't have no idea how they would even enforce a no ghostwriting policy. Jeez, uh, we know 25% of the books on the, on the uh, New York Times bestseller list have to come off because of the amount of yeah. ghostwriters that help these people write. I mean, yeah. come I mean, on. The amount of ghostwriting, yeah, the amount of ghostwriting that goes on in, 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 in well, in our, certainly in our business, but in every industry is just huge. So the, the one, the, yeah. the thing that I would say to people like, and, and by the way, hats off again to um, Amy for making this decision. She goes on at the end and says she's in a new initiative and she's basically starting this business and, uh, and, that's fantastic. I love to hear that. But I speak to a lot of crowds of journalists and people coming out of journalism school, and I think they automatically think that their journalism has to be for a company, has to be for somebody else. And I guess right. I would say it doesn't have to be. You can create your own platform just like Amy wants to now. And she just realized it. She's like, oh, why am I doing this for all these other people? I could do it for myself. Now, there's a lot of people out there that like to write for other companies. And it's a good thing because a lot of companies are terrible writers and they need help. Uh, so that's great. But on the other hand, there's never been more opportunity well, to create a platform. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the that's the, at the crux of it. Her The title that she's given herself, and again, I, I, I will reiterate what you just read. Hats off to her. I think what she's doing is courageous and, and, and all of that. The title that she's given herself, Independent Writer and Editor. That is a job title that 20 years ago didn't exist really. You know, I mean, there, are, there were freelance writers, but the, you know, to, to, you know, if you've read the book, uh, Clay Shirky's book, Here Comes Everybody, 
the types of professions now that have been democratized through digital and the way that content is being used now, photographers in the same fashion. So you've got professional photographers lamenting the advent of, of basically prosumer-level equipment along with things like Flickr and, and the ability to share photographs. And these professional photographers now lament the demise of professional photography as a profession. And I think you've got the same thing here with writers where you've got professional writers that were paid lots and lots and lots of money to go work for places like Forbes and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and these big, big bags where it took years to get to be a staff writer at some of these places who are now lamenting the idea of professional writers going away because these independent writers now have the ability to aggregate and build their own audiences and, quite frankly, have the level of distribution that they would have never had 20 and 30 years ago. And so it is, you know, it, be careful for what you wish for because you just might get it. And in, in this case, I think the, the idea of independent writer is, um, is an amazing thing. We've seen the same thing happen in music, too, with independent musicians being able to build their own audiences and get out of the way of the record distribution business. Yep. So it's, a, it's, it's happening everywhere, and it's not just journalism that is, quote-unquote, suffering. The one thing I would say about ghostwriting is this is a different ghostwriting than I think that we normally apply to ghostwriting, where, a let's say, a CEO has some really good ideas on a direction of thinking, and that ghostwriter helps them put that into words and tell a story behind that instead of just what she's talking about is she's just coming up with all kinds of articles and they're saying, oh, our CEO wrote that, which I don't agree with at all. So I think well, there's again, a big that's, difference yeah, that's there. A flawed yeah. Strategy. yeah, that's the flawed strategy, right? You know, that's where, that's where we often talk to the idea that the story should come from within and then how you execute that story can come, you know, in – you know, in engaged ways, right? Either through agencies or freelancers, you know, you can have somebody, if you've got a great idea, but you just don't have time to put it into, you know, just to the extent that we hire professional designers to help us make things look beautiful. We can also help hire professional writers as both you and I do, but hire professional editors to make us sound a lot there smarter you go. than we Absolutely. are. You know what I mean? Actually, another, so. another good segue because this survey talks about whether bloggers use editing or not. Why don't you tee up this next one for us? Well, sure. I mean, this is a uh, this is a really fascinating. Uh, I this this might be my favorite story um, of the of the week here um, from a study perspective. Maybe not necessarily for the study, but certainly for the topic. This is Orbit Media is the headline shows how to be in the top five percent of bloggers. Um, and the interesting thing, what they did here was they actually said, you know, after seven years of them working hard at content, they were really having a few questions about the process of blogging. How much time does it take? How do most bloggers who are really popular, do they use an editor? Uh, do they find, how do they find time to write? How do they actually promote their work? So they actually went out and did some research. Um, and they actually asked a bunch of people here. And what did you think about these? Uh, the results. Did you uh, were, did you respond to the survey? Did you? I was one. I, did I not. was one of the one one thousand thirty. Because you're well, because you're part of the you're part of the five percent, my friend. I would not be part of the five percent. I'm 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 lowly in the other ninety five percent. What you're always you're on my five percent. <laughs> yeah, and all your oh, listeners would so would agree sweet. with that. Uh, well, so and, by the way, shout out to Andy Crestadina. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Andy, of course, with Orbit Media Studios. Just a very smart yeah, guy. Just, very, very And by smart. the way, they do a great job with this. Um, 
So they, I mean, just some overview of it. Uh, the majority of bloggers spend between one to two hours uh, on average. Uh, there's a lot that's been actually well over four to six hours on it. So that's kind of a the majority one to two hours. Uh, most bloggers blog all. I mean, there's no consistency as to when they blog. They Most of the time they blog from home or the home office. And the frequency is what was interesting because it's all over the map. Right. So the one yeah. thing that, that I got of this whole thing, and it goes down and down, the most important thing that we found is not frequency, to success, whatever they define success and how these bloggers go about their business, but it's in consistency. So yep. whether you write long or really short, by the way, the average blogger is 800 words. And I, um, what, and what, it seems like 500 to 1,000 words is the most. So this is what's interesting, Robert, is when let's just say when I started in the blogging biz, um, you know, 2007 to 2009, it's about 300 words seemed to be about the average because it's like, oh, how much do we need to get found yep. in Google? 250 words, 250, 500 words. Great. Now it's up to 800. And so there seems to be a trend, trend toward longer. And funny thing is, just look at the articles we talked about today. They're all longer than a thousand words. Oh, absolutely. So it I mean, seems to be the, the – doesn't that seem to be the trend is longer yeah, written articles? Yeah, I mean, well, look, I mean, I have often lamented that I'm not Seth – well, there's so many reasons I lament that I'm not Seth Godin. But one of, the, one of them is the fact that he can write in 300 words what it takes me 2,000 to say. Um, and I think in many cases they're – look, they're, in many cases they're, they're long just because they're long. And you kind of, you know, you and, and sort of in that snackable way that, you know, has become sort of the norm for writing, quite frankly, for business writing, much less just blog writing, where it's like little chunks of paragraphs with, you know, big subheads separating them, which is a really somebody ought to do a study on that, actually, because there's a really interesting trend there about how writing even, you know, because you read business books these days and that's how they're organized. Yep. Um, but beyond that, I, I think it's it's really hard for me to make you know because most blogs and most blog posts are unless they're sort of truly what blogs originated as which was sort of online journaling um, which many still are and there's some great ones that are that are still that way but many of them in the business world are making an argument for something right some best practice or something that they're trying to make an argument for and I find it really hard to make an argument for something or against something in you know that's that has any sort of meat to it in less than a thousand words and i think that's why you see a lot of that i just don't i there's not you're just not going to explore a lot in two paragraphs which is about you know which is about 300 words well there's two points that you made up first of all according to the research that they cite in here ideal blog post length for seo is more like 1500 words but only about one in 20 bloggers produce content that long (laughs) And then it's funny, what you're saying is exactly what they bring out what Ann Hanley says in here. She says, there's no obesity in my posts. Uh, she writes about a thousand words, but she likes, once she edits them, she edits them down. And it's the same thing when I ran Social Tract, which we sold a couple of years ago. We generally would have a 500 word post that we would like to edit down to 350. Because we always felt right. there was a, a, there's always some fat in that post and how can we cut that oh, fat man. out of there. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's just interesting. And I think the the biggest issue in this whole thing was the fact that most of the bloggers don't have any editorial processes outside of their own. Which, I, what I've learned from my writing is, boy, you, 
a good editor just makes everything that oh much better. It makes all. Oh my god! It makes all the difference in the world. I I absolutely I could not recommend that more highly to find either a friend or a colleague. We happen to have several at CMI, um, but uh, you know, huge shout out to Jody, Michelle, Lisa Merton Beats. I mean, Lisa just Higgs, every, yeah, everybody, Tracy. Oh, they're they're, just, they're fantastic. Oh, they're so. But good that's at what they do. But that's the difference, right? I think that for you, anyone listening to this, that if you don't have an somebody else's eyes on a post. Uh, except that your own, I don't think you're taking it seriously enough. I really think, I think that's, that's a, true. You're not looking at it as a business well, issue. Here's the thing, I, and and I want to circle back around because we kind of made a joke about it, you know, about you know I'm not on that list or whatever. And and one of the things that I that I often will, you know, I stopped blogging. I used to. I used to blog all the time, and I stopped because I found, quite frankly, I was much more successful as a writer writing for other platforms like CMI, right? I, I write for CMI. I occasionally, I've written for iMedia Connection. I've written for CMS Wire. I've written for a couple of, I've, a couple of other magazines and online, you know, uh, things and print. And I, I enjoy sort of figuring out how to sort of aggregate my own audience on other platforms rather than sort of trying to build my own blog if that's the right way to phrase mm-hmm. it and i think that's an equally interesting strategy well obviously i think it's equally interesting because i i, I employ it but the you know a lot of people will say to me companies will say especially small businesses will say well should i start a blog and i'm like i don't know if you should start a blog what you may want to do is actually start writing and putting it on other people's uh, website because that can be an effective way for you to build a great brand about yourself without having to build some owned media platform that you have to maintain and 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 be you know now the same rules I would argue apply consistency being smart having an editor all of the wonderful things that Orbit Media comes up with here but it doesn't always necessarily result in you having a top five percent blog at the end of the day you may actually never make any rankings at all you may just be some guy out there that has you know that has an audience fragmented across different publications and i think that's okay mm-hmm. absolutely i mean i think so to just to round it up consistency is key uh no matter when you blog on your platform you need to do it consistently whether it's daily weekly whatever the case is and that's even right. though the best of the best don't have editors uh i i'm saying that editorial is key get somebody to review uh and and probably if you if you're blogging for a company you need to have an editorial style style guide that's right uh, so that editor could look at that so you could look at it for content uh for proofreading as well and then of course just for for search for search engine optimization as well so those are the three things you need to look for yeah all right, on to our last story of this week, and this was an, an interesting one. Um, it is comes from a, a site called thedrum.com, um, and it says that media companies aren't working hard enough for advertisers, and that might sound a little strange at the moment, talking about content marketing and all the things that we talk about here, but this comes from uh, BuzzFeed, uh, BuzzFeed's VP of Advertising, in particular, Will Hayward, and he was talking at an event um, uh, on branded content specifically, and he basically said that 
The distribution of branded content is vital, and media agencies are going to suffer if they don't keep up. Now, we talked about this last week, Joe, where we talked about media agencies doing some of the more innovative work when it comes to creation of, of content here. But his point was that you, know, you, can, you can do all these great things online. Nobody's going to see them, so you've got to get better um, at delivering value for advertisers that goes beyond sort of the traditional advertising services and, and get into creating content that is part of a distribution strategy. I mean, is this basically a publisher saying, hey, waking up and saying, you guys better get good at this because we're getting good at it and, you know, you're going to die. Well, no. I mean, it's it's a little bit different because BuzzFeed has a different kind of audience. And the second thing is that the majority of their far majority, I think it's 80% plus, Maybe it's it's more than that of their uh, revenues comes from native advertising. So correct is that? I, yes, I I think we I think we yeah. Talked about so that a so, ago. Yeah, exactly. so they're they're in a completely different position. I don't know if every media brand out there can do the things that BuzzFeed does just from an audience. <laughs> Certainly, just from a, nor should nor they. should they from an audience <laughs> standpoint. Now that said, right, I learned from a good friend, Tom Corcoran. Uh, he, when I was getting into the business and we were trying to sell custom content projects, he said, you want to think of yourself like an octopus that you have eight arms and how can you get those eight <laughs> arms on different projects in the organization? So you stay longer. So you're more needed. So right. I think just from that standpoint, if you just say we will run your ad, you're pretty replaceable. If you say we run your ad and we help you with some content, now it's a little bit better. If you say we help you with your marketing distribution strategy, your content, your strategy, I mean, then you're basically irreplaceable. They're going to keep you right. on. So from that right. standpoint, and what you generally see is they – Get sticky. Yeah, Get sticky. Yeah, they, you, they spend more money on it. I think that's what you're talking about, but I, I guess – and I agree with what he's saying. I just don't think it has to be how BuzzFeed does it on their own platform. I think you can help advertisers create content, build their own audiences, but you don't have to do it – uh, on your platform as a media company. Sure. Well, and let's be clear that the guy who said that was the VP of advertising, right? So, I mean, he's he's a sales guy. <laughs> you should um, all be buying so... more native advertising. <laughs> exactly, I don't have any, right? <laughs> right. Skin of the you game. Know, and by the one. way, we're offering more content <laughs> services than anybody. What do I have to do, Joe, to get you into a content program today? You should all um, be doing what we're doing. <laughs> Well, speaking of media companies that aren't working hard enough for advertisers, we need to work a little hard for uh, our wonderful sponsor. We do. Is it that time already? And I know it I think we're a little behind time. anyways. So again, uh, This Old Marketing is proud to have Emma as be our sponsor this week. We love Emma. Oh, my God. They're so MyEmma.com. Email marketing for the modern brand featuring mobile responsive templates, social integration tools, and the all-important concierge services. Uh, we've been promoting the last a couple podcasts, their new webinar entitled The Eight-Second Challenge, Email Marketing for the Shrinking Attention Which is a span. fantastic, it's just so Well, we've good. been getting some really that good webinar. feedback from uh, listeners as well. Great feedback. So yeah. a lot of the listeners have gotten it, downloaded it, and I know you're probably thinking, hey, it's somebody else's webinar. Hey, this is an educationally-based webinar. If you're trying to get better attention through your email marketing, get better open rate, do more things with your headlines, that kind of thing, you want to pay attention to this 45-minute webinar. Uh, you can get there through bit.ly.com slash PNR-Emma and the number 8, Emma 8. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR-Emma 8. And thanks again to Emma. 
Uh, we love you. Thank we you so truly much, appreciate all your support. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, now it is time for our favorite part of the show, our rants and raves, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that's really bugging us or something that we just want to share a little love for. Um, you're going to be doing this old marketing, so uh, maybe you want to go first. I'll go here. first, yeah, and I'll be really brief. And and this, I thought about this for a lot as it was happening, and I was going to go back to the LeBron James thing. And his choice to go with the written word versus a video production. Now, I'm not going to get into there's all I mean, if you if you know what happened with the LeBron James decision and the decision (laughs) 2.0 and all that, I'm not going to get into the circumstances around it. But I thought a lot about the use of video versus text and the deliberate use of that. And what I remember most, Robert, from the decision one is they would take out a lot of his words in video and they would just use them out of context and like everybody right. remembers, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach, but they don't remember the parts where he was talking about how hard a decision this was for him and his family. Nobody ever got that. They just got right. selfish LeBron exactly. James going after the money, taking his talents, taking to, his South talents Beach, to South yeah. Beach. Now, there's a lot of right. things he did wrong in that whole thing, and he admits to it. But video, I think that if you're trying to do certain things, text is a much better way to do it. And I think he proves it in this. And they had uh, Lee Jenkins, I believe it was Lee Jenkins was the writer from SI, wrote in conjunction with LeBron the decision part two. It came out at noon uh, Eastern time on Friday. And what a well, did you have a chance to read it by chance? Oh, it's, it's, I, well, I saw, you know, so I, as you might expect, I have, you know, including yourself, I have many friends in Cleveland and they were all sharing this. So my social, my Facebook feed was just filled with this. Um, and I did actually get a chance to read it and it was really well written, you know, and I think I, Jay bear con- commented on this and he thought, you know, he said it was really classy and that, you know, basically a new narrative had, had started. And I think that's really the key here is, is that when, you know, we often talk a lot about you know, at you know, so this podcast for sure, and certainly at workshops and and all the things we do, we talk about it's your story, and we finish off every podcast with it's your story, tell it well. And he has, I think, in this really relaunched a new narrative. Now it'll be up to him to, of course, you know, extend it and advance it and all of that. But I think it was a beautiful start to a new story. Great point, and the last thing that I'll say on it is is that everybody's talking. You know, you go, oh, video, 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 video is important for social, all that stuff. Man, you just can't beat the when – when the written word is used really well and really strategically, you can't beat it. And, it really uh, is. And I yeah. guess I think that it should get more respect, Other, regardless of some of the articles we <laughs> went through this time. Yeah, right. There, exactly. There you go. So what's your what's your rant <laughs> rave of the week? Well, I have a I have a I, I it it started out as a rant and now it's going to be kind of a rant rave thing because it feels like it changed and I can't prove that it changed here, but I think something changed. It's just my gut tells me something changed. Anyway, so Friday, um, if any of you have ever read Tom Foremsky, um, he's kind of a, uh, he's been around for a long time, thought leader in, you know, sort of where Silicon Valley startups, you know, technology and media meet. He writes for lots of big, 
big publications, um, including his blog, which of course is well visited, and I actually have an RSS feed subscription to. So, so I'm a fan. I have been a fan. But I read his blog post on Friday, and it was basically him talking about, you know, he was talking about content marketing. So of course it caught my attention. And he was talking about this event that he was at, and he was he was on this panel, and the director of uh, marketing for uh, for Hyundai was also on the panel, and they were talking about this idea of every company needs to be a media company. And here's where it sort of diverges into, I don't know whether this is a rant or a rave or just something to talk about, which is in his blog post, what I distinctly remember is him talking about this idea of all companies need to be a media company now is a flawed idea because media companies don't talk about themselves. And just like we were talking about in the beginning of the show, this is the idea of questioning the idea of the practice because of a flawed practice of the practice. And what he was saying, I thought in the blog post, I went back and reread his blog post and whether it changed or whether I just misread it, I'm not even going to try and figure out. But basically what he's saying now is that every company is a media company, but they shouldn't talk about themselves because media companies don't talk about themselves. Rather, they offer a service, which is basically a media service. And so that's what companies really need to be. Now, the way I'll sort of rephrase that is that, and, and having grown up in my career in media companies, having worked for television networks, having worked for film studios, and having worked for, you know, basically production companies. Yes, they do. Marketing companies, you know, they do have marketing. There are marketing managers. They're a B2B marketing organization like you would expect any other marketing organization to be. They have one sheets. They've got brochures. They talk to customers. There are pipelines. There are funnels. They do talk about themselves. We just don't ever see it because, quite frankly, we're not in their target market. If you're a television network, there's a marketing department that's talking to the Comcasts and the Time Warners out there that are trying to convince them to buy more Showtime and buy more HBO. We don't see that. The difference is, is that media companies create content as a product. They create value. That's the way that they create value is with content. And so what Tom here is describing as a service, as a media service, is basically just the idea that content is a valuable thing worth managing strategically and so should be created and treated as such. And that's why they create so much importance around the idea of content and the way they manage portfolios of projects as content. That is what we mean when we say every company should be a media company now. It is not that they should do marketing like media companies. It's that they should create content as a valuable thing that creates value with their customers, separate and distinct from the product or service they may offer otherwise. That's the real difference. And so the article that I'm referring to here that we'll put in the show notes is he's writing, and I hate this headline, which, as you might expect, it's from ZDNet where he's writing as a well-respected thought leader, and the headline is, content marketing is narcissistic and self-serving and needs to be called media as a service. No, it doesn't. It's fine. The name content marketing is fine. You just need to understand what being a media company really is. That's, I guess, my... Well, you're not, you're not crazy because right here in toward the end of the uh, article that he writes on ZDNet says, so if content marketing in its current autobiographical form can't carry the weight of being notable, noticeable and notable, what's the answer? He's saying right there that content marketing for the most part is self-promotion, which is not true. 
That's not that's true. The, that's it's changing the, the definition to support your narrative. That's exactly. Right? So, so Tom and I love Tom's stuff, and I I quoted great. Tom he's in my my last guy. book, and yeah. love what he's doing. But Tom does not have a good definition. He's basically using the worst form of con- didn't we just talk about this? The worst that's form right. of content that's marketing as the example for what's going on in the industry. And come on, that's right. So that's right. That's, no, you have every right to rant on that part of it. So. Yeah, well, there you have it. There there you you That's my rant. All right, so bring us into this whole marketing. Bring it. All right, so uh, hats off to Nanad Senek for sending this in. And I had it, this is one of the pleasures of doing this show, Robert, because we get people sending in these old examples that I had no idea that Credit Suisse. They're fantastic. Yeah, credits and Nanad is and Nanad is, is is particularly good. Oh, at this. And, and he does a degree, and keep them keep them coming, Nanad. Uh, uh, Credit Suisse. Uh, launched a magazine called The Bulletin in 1895 and is regarded as the oldest periodical published by a bank anywhere in the world. And they say, and and this is right on their contact page, I just think it's curious, Bulletin is not a banking magazine, nor is it a traditional corporate magazine. Rather, it is a magazine that encourages dialogue about economic and socially relevant topics, contributing to diversity of opinion and Blah 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 blah. But anyways, I just thought. But wait, all, the the cool thing about that right there. Just stop there for a second. You do this amazing presentation where you talk about the content mission, and the two things that you have as sort of requisite items of a content marketing mission is what value are you providing, and what does the audience get? Basically, who is it? Who are you targeting, and what value are they going to take away from what you're giving? Them? Yep. And there they've, they've done, done right it right there, there on their you got it. right there on their page, right? And they're basically very transparent about it because they also say uh, who the publisher is, Credit Suisse. They're saying we are the right. publisher and we have an external editorial team of these people that handle our editorial management and production. Uh, and by the way, uh, we're going to put it in the show notes. It's really some really good stuff. And There is some good stuff in there. And yeah. since 1895, they've actually branched out into podcasts and e-newsletters and social media. And so they, you can find all that as well. But just for the fact that you know we talk about John Deere launching their magazine in 1895, not as the oldest, but one of the oldest. And here we go, another example from the 1800s, and it just continues to amaze me. They got obviously got it right away. We're, they're not talking about themselves. They're talking about what's going on. And the economy specific to the people that they're trying to target as an audience. So deliver that. There value. you go. Create that value. Deliver That's that it. value. That's what being a media company Just is all about. Do it. That's what it's about. Damn LeBron it. LeBron would do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just do it. Exactly, LeBron would do it. Oh my God, that's that's our cue. Where are you going to be uh, other than other than glued to watching more LeBron news? Where will you be this week? Uh, actually, right in fifteen minutes, uh, the Jack's uh, Jack's back is the is the closing or is the finale. I've got to go down and get prepared to watch the the last episode of oh is that twenty four yeah, of twenty four. Okay, so I've got to go. do do that. Right. And uh, this still got this week. I'm working. Uh, next week we're going to take the family to a little trip to Gettysburg, which will be fun to see a little, little educational trip for the boys. Uh, how about you? Anything good? I am neck deep in the book. That's um, right. That you are well known, uh, about. Um, and so I, yeah, I am, I'm heads down this week again, writing, um, and getting some stuff done. Of course, working with our wonderful clients on an advisory capacity, um, and just, you know, just enjoying the fact that I'm not on the road. So it's a, it's, you know, heads down on the book and, and writing and doing client enjoy, work. So enjoy it while you can, my friend. 
I can. There you go. I will indeed. I will indeed. Well, that is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And tweet us up, would you? Hashtag this old marketing. For all those old examples or questions or comments or anything, we're on Twitter. We're on the Twitter. We're out there. Tweet us up. Anyway, if you've got a question, you can also send us an email. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this, episode number 35, we hope you'll consider subscribing. iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes, which are available on our little old corner of the web, thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.